0: This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode
1: 339, Watching the Color Out of Space with John Haru.
0: Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Strangers. Strangers. <laughs> Would say what needs to be said? Would you be a stranger or an alien, or would you be a strange alien? Or would the truth, truth out there? I am your father's best friend, Bummer. Superman, Wonder Woman, heroes, villains. Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci fi for God?
1: The very first
0: thing that God did so why is he wise? was that He created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Alien Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Strangers and aliens. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here with a recurring guest host. Uh, this is, I think, your third time here?
0: Um, yeah, I believe so.
1: And that voice was John Haru, and Yes, John, John you with Ben, Ben Avery. <laughs> and we're here uh, to talk about another uh, scary movie. So we've done um, the Christian horror trilogy uh, together. We did that. With uh, House and... I can't remember Three, the two
0: and there was a third one. There, there was, were, uh, uh, the visitation. Yes. Yeah.
1: And, and then we talked previously, we, we did the fly, um,
0: right. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, the, the uh, franchise that, that was, that was a two part, that was a two part yeah. series. We did the, the, uh, original trilogy and then we did the, uh, the duology of the remake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, with, which with, with, what we're talking about today, um, David Cronenberg might actually come up in the conversation.
1: Yeah. Or John Carpenter. Um, and actually Steven Spielberg might even come up a little bit, but right. uh, this is, this movie is, bar- it's, it's anti yeah. Spielberg or anti 80s Spielberg. Well, anyway.
0: It, it's funny that you bring up John Carpenter in, in uh, reference to when we're talking about the shows I've been on, because there was a, uh, there was an episode we were supposed to do a while back in, that involved him. When we're we're talking about we'll doing still the do thing. It.
1: We'll 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 get there.
0: All right. I, I don't know when, but I i have since gotten rid of my notes that I made for that after about a year and a half. Yeah, it's it's been a while, but <laughs> yeah. So uh
1: yeah, so we're here to talk about the color out of space, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh color the color out of space and this is an HP Lovecraft inspired movie. It's based on his uh his short story, The Color out of space and this movie came up uh you asked me if i'd seen it yeah and i took that to mean that you had seen it and so i'm like oh i was i'm gonna go trying to find out if it was any
0: good because yeah. yeah. well because I, I i had heard i had heard that uh you know i i had seen that it was a nicholas cage movie and those things are so hit and miss anymore because of he's basically he has to grab every single opportunity that comes to him because of his tax situation so i i would i was trying to find out if anybody had seen it um and you hadn't seen it yet and i'm like well for good or bad that'd be a good ep- that'd be a great episode of strangers and the aliens to hear
1: And i'd watched it you know and was thinking let's uh, yeah let's let's do an episode about this thing because uh not to give everything away but i was just at how how good it actually was.
0: Yeah, yeah, I you know to being being a direct to video release, I was that was pretty excited. Now, it did about get it.
1: limited theatrical release, and I actually looked into could I could I catch this on the big screen because I've been hearing good things about it, and I couldn't. It was I either missed it or it just never was in my area. Um, so if you look at Wikipedia, which I did, it was I think a twelve million dollar budget and a nine hundred thousand dollar box office uh wow. which is funny but primarily because it was meant to be a direct-to video. Yeah. Uh, so um yeah, so I think there's going to be spoilers uh in, in this episode. Um so before we get to them.
0: I don't see how you could even talk about this movie without spoiling it to a certain extent.
1: Right? But we're going to try for the next couple of minutes here. <laughs> and for I'll for try. people who have not seen it, uh I'm going to say uh, I'm trying to think of what to compare it to, and and uh, I will say I ha- I was reminded of uh, Annihilation a little bit. If you combine that with John Carpenter's The Thing, and so a little more uh, body horror, uh, but still um, just kind of offbeat feeling. Because because that's the thing is uh, this movie is difficult to watch for me for a couple reasons. One was it it feels just off. And the other one was, we are living in a time right now where I'm feeling just off. And the other is, the little boy in this movie looks a lot like my
0: son. You know, when I was watching it, cause I, you know, I've seen your Facebook page uh-huh. and I've, we're friends on Facebook. And when I was watching it, I was like, this looks a lot like Ben's youngest. I wonder if this is going to come up in the podcast yeah. and I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to bring it up if it yeah, doesn't. No, so. no,
1: it was, uh, very apparent, uh, when I was watching it. In fact, I, I paused it because one of my kids came downstairs when I was watching it and when I paused it, it was right. It was a close up on him, and I asked my daughter, "Is like, doesn't that just look just like Dougie?" And she's like, "Yeah, actually." And it looks like someone cast a movie of our life, and that's the actor they cast to play him. You know, like he wow. he looks like he looks just enough like him that you're like, "Oh yeah, I can see that." um But enough that it's not the exact same, but yeah, you know, the the. The haircut, the glasses, and even some of the facial expressions. And we'll get to why that was troubling for me when we get to the
0: spoilers. Oh, but I know why. Yeah, no, no.
1: Um but anyway, yeah. Uh I'd say if you like that kind of thing, though, that there's there's unsettling body horror. Um, but there's also just a, a little bit of a beauty to it. It it's not quite Guillermo del Toro beauty, you know, so like one of the things I love about Pan's Labyrinth is that it is a brutal, beautiful movie. You know, there's, there's just this, and this is not quite there, but almost. And so, yeah, for low budget horror, twelve million dollars. There's every dollar on the screen.
0: Oh yeah, and I mean, you if you when you watch this movie, you won't be able to really see that it's low budget at all. I it didn't even cross my mind when I was watching it. And the the palette that they use for the uh the color palette that they use for the movie is incredible yeah. for for sure. I mean, it it is a beautiful movie, but it is a grotesque movie at the same time. It's really weird to say yeah. that, but it it really is. And Nick Cage is in it, and he oh. does get pretty cagey. I mean, it's but it, this, this is OK. So <laughs> there are certain there's certain actors that have their own style where they're basically they just they're not really acting. They're just putting themselves in that particular scenario. Um, uh, Nicholas Cage is one of them. Jack Nicholson's another one of them. Um, but there are certain films that they do where that just really works and that's appropriate for the part. This just happens to be Nick Cage's time where the, the Nick cage really works. Sort of like watching Jack Nicholson in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It just, there's moments where it just, yeah, this, that that makes sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. I Actually, there's a good comparison there too. Like I would, I would throw that in the mix of trying to describe what this movie is and feels
0: like. Um. As
1: I'm the Shining? yeah,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, I could see that. I, I when I was watching it though, and I had really actually, after I got done watching it, because you don't think I, I didn't think when I was watching the movie, I was just like, I can't stop to try to think about this too hard because I'm going to miss something if I do. But after the fact, um, there's a certain subgenre of horror films that a lot of horror fans are familiar with called cabin in the woods movies. Um, so much so that there's a movie called cabin mm-hmm. in the woods that kind of satirizes the whole idea of it. And, uh, this is very much a cabin in the woods style movie. Um, you, you had compared it to, uh, your two movies. Uh, what, 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 what did you compare it to?
1: Annihilation and the thing.
0: Right. For me, it was kind of, it was more of a cross, uh, cross between, uh, the evil dead and the fly. <laughs> that, that's kind of where my mind went to it. So uh,
1: throw those all in a blender, you know, and, yeah. and this is kind of what you're going to get out of it. Yeah.
0: But I, I just want to put this out there to give a proper warning to anybody out there. Who's, who is interested in this, in this movie, this movie starts out with a family that's already going through it. So to speak, they're already kind of in a rough hit, hitting a rough patch in their life. And it just perce- proceeds, just dunk on him for the rest of the movie until it's over. So, I mean, you're, you're going to watch a a family in a tough place, go through some even tougher stuff, uh, until they get to the end of the movie. So that, you know, if you're, if you aren't in an emotional place where you're ready for something like that, I would recommend waiting to watch it because I could see how that could affect some people out there. And I, I think that's a caveat that needs to be had. So
1: yeah, so like we like to do with with the spoiler free little bit here at the beginning is just who do we recommend this for and do we recommend it and uh, yeah, so if those things intrigue you, then I would say you should probably stop this podcast and and find it find an opportunity to to see the movie first. But uh, if you're not interested in those things, keep listening. Or if you've already seen the movie, keep listening, and we're we'll, we're gonna talk about just what this thing is because it, it's so interesting to me. This is an H.P. Lovecraft movie that feels like it actually comes from the story. Um, and I can't say I've seen too many HP Lovecraft movies. And honestly, I have not read much by HP Lovecraft. I did read this story, uh, before watching the movie specifically so I could see just how it, how it goes together. I have a hard time reading HP Lovecraft. Um,
0: He's very verbose. Yeah.
1: He's hard to follow along with. Uh, there was one or two stories that I remember reading where I just put it down, um, I did uh, do an adaptation of the dream quest of, uh, and I can't remember the rest of the title, um, but I, I mm-hmm. did, I wrote the comic book adaptation of that. And, and that was, that was an interesting challenge. Uh, but once you realize there's a lot of words, but not a lot happening uh, on <laughs> the page, you know, um, it was actually pretty easy to, <laughs> to adapt. Um, and then there's also a story again, I can't remember the title of it, but it's about a, uh, these underwater creatures and that just always intrigued me.
0: Um, the shadow over Innsmouth.
1: That that might be it. I, I really can't remember, but yeah, I mean, I'm not a HP Lovecraft, uh, uh, expert by any, by any stretch. Um, I did like the story though. The, the story that this movie is based on, uh, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, and part of it was because I know he was trying to create an alien entity that was unlike humans and, and unlike anything really that we would recognize as life. Uh, it's a color. It's a, it's a color from outer space. Really? (laughs) right? like, how else do you explain it? It's, It's in the title. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the story and, uh, reading it, uh, there's a couple things that stuck out to me, but one of them was just about how much time he spent describing things as gray <laughs> and, and how there's, he's describing these colorless landscapes and, and things uh, primarily so that, you know, it, it, I think sets up the idea of this, this color that can't, it's a color that can't be
0: imagined or seen. Um, right. It, it's one that, doesn't exist within the uh, that doesn't exist within the natural spectrum spectrum as well that's at least that's how it was described by Mr. Howard Phillips himself
1: yeah but it's, it's actually a really well I shouldn't say well written because it, just because someone's verbose doesn't mean they're not well written but uh the story itself I was right. able to follow it pretty easily and and get into it um you know even even though his other work you know, I have that complete HP Lovecraft or whatever it was—the Bar- Barnes Noble twenty-five dollar collected mm-hmm. edition—and and sat down with it a couple times. I'm just like, oh man, this is so big, and I'm tr- I'm just trying to read one short story, and I I can't get through it. So
0: yeah, it it, it it's rough. Uh, you know the reason why it's it turned out that his stories were like that, right? Was he getting paid by the word? Okay, yes. Okay. Back back in the the teens and twenties when he was doing his uh, when he was in the meat of his career. Cause, and, the, and it's also the reason why you only hear about short stories and not actual full books is because his stories were submitted to uh, magazines for publication um, like sci-fi magazines. And uh, they would pay, they would pay the authors by the word. And so he became incredibly verbose and overly descriptive with uh, his stories. Now it turns out if you if you kind of distill the stories down to the story themselves and you kind of learn to wrap your mind around the, uh, the 10 cent words he likes to use and the over uh, descriptive nature of his writing, the stories turn out to be very good, but you gotta, you you gotta work to get to that meat. And also you have to kind of remember they're a product of the time. So there's some, some verted racism that, kind of streams throughout his work a little bit yeah. too. My,
1: my one note for my publisher on the the one that I did for the comic book was uh, when he gave it to me, he said, okay, just adapt it however you want to and get rid of the racism. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> like that was one of the one note that he gave me about how I, I, I shouldn't say that that wasn't even a note. That was just direction. He didn't give me much direction other than get rid of that. And
0: yeah. 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 I mean, you, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, but you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that wouldn't exist without Mr. Lovecraft, but we're, we're, we are so rabbit trailing off of the movie at this well, point just uh, to talk about HP Lovecraft. Yeah, but I mean,
1: that's, that's setting some groundwork here. And, and cause the other thing I would say is uh, again, the adaptations are probably could be, or should be easy because of, he's just got these fantastic imagination with this crazy wild stuff going on. Um but you keep hearing about people saying you can't do it right you know people aren't getting it right hollywood can't get it um and and so that's why this one my ears perked up for this one because they were saying they did it right and it felt like it it felt like the story and um what are your thoughts on the story let's let's go there first like i've given my thoughts about how it's readable <laughs> and, and i think at the beginning uh, i think this is kind of at the beginning of his sci-fi horror uh, old ones kind of thing, because I think that might be part of the issue is that he wasn't into that whole, like, I'm going to pad this with words. Uh, and and that made it a little more readable for me. Maybe.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm not certain of the chronology as far as at what point of his career he wrote the story in and of itself. Uh, it's for me, it was one of the more recent ones that I have consumed. And I have to say consumed because I do the majority of my quote book reading, uh, via audiobook, given what I do for a living, which is medical coding, so I'm listening to audiobooks throughout the day mostly. Um, and not very long ago, I had acquired because I, I I I have the same uh, compilation of H.P. Lovecraft stories that you were just saying that you have as well. Uh, but I've never had a chance to sit down and read them. But I had also picked up an audiobook version of the same thing, so I was just kind of cruising through his stories, which is difficult to do when you're trying to do other things at the same time. But I had, uh, I had recently listened to the color out of space. Um, so I was, that's the reason why I was eager to see the movie myself. And, uh, as far as the story in and of itself, it's for me, it was a lot like his other stories. It's very dry and it's very paced, but, um, it, it was one that I was I had an easier time to follow along with. There's there's uh anybody else who's ever read HP Lovecraft will tell you that there's some stories that are hard to keep up with. Um, like at the mountains of madness is a hard it was a hard one for me to kind of really figure out what's going on until you've been in the same place for about ten minutes. But uh this one I enjoyed it. Um, a lot of the story in the HP Lovecraft uh, story was, ha- is being told past tense, so you kind of already have an idea how it ends. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's one of his easier ones to try to read or listen to, depending on how you're consuming your literature. Um, and if someone's looking for a gateway story, into HP Lovecraft after this would, it would, it would definitely be one that I would recommend. Um, I don't remember any of the subtle racism in that particular story. No, no I don't either. Um,
1: I, yeah, I think HP Lovecraft to me, I think he started to become sci-fi homework, you know, like <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's groundbreaking and it's also, uh, mind-breaking as far as just like, I just can't, I just can't. And I have to make myself, uh, I think probably the best compliment I can give color out of color from, uh, color out of space is that I didn't have to force myself to, to continue. Right. So,
0: you know, it's funny based off this description, the, the way we keep describing Lovecraft's work, you would almost, you could almost say that he is the sci-fi geek version of Shakespeare. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that ju- that just kind of came to me when I was, was really thinking about how we we're describing this. I'm like, this is a lot how I would describe Shakespeare to somebody. It's, it's really good if you can get past all the words. <laughs> if you
1: can get past the thing that it is, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, let's talk about the movie then. Because, first of all, let's talk about the director of this movie. I... Knew nothing about this movie going in other than it was based on the H.P. Lovecraft story. So I read the story, watched the movie, and then just today I was like, you know, I'll just check and see what this guy's done. What what else has this guy done? I've seen a, a handful of this guy's movies, and I couldn't believe that I'd seen his movies. This is the man who worked on the island of Dr. Moreau back in the 90s for three days and got fired off of it because he was just impossible to work with very eccentric richard stanley yeah eccentric young uh, and yet visionary director you know um didn't get along with anyone got fired uh snuck on the set as an extra (laughs) to see what the what the follow-up director was doing with his movie because he also is one of the screenwriters on this thing uh the whole just the movie itself is a fiasco and I would say honestly worth watching and then watching the direct, uh, the the documentary that they made about the making of this movie. It's not worth watching if you want to see a really great piece of cinema, but the whole package is just a a great Hollywood story uh, as far as just behind the scenes stuff and, and interesting filmmaking things going on and, and, bigger-than-life personalities. I mean, Marlon Brando's in the movie. Val Kilmer's in the movie. Val Kilmer is not giving a great performance and and doing it on purpose. Well,
0: not only only was Marlon Brando in this movie, but it was when Marlon Brando was in full-blown, hi, I'm Marlon Brando, and I've gone insane at this point in my life, Marlon Brando. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's just wild. And so... suddenly i'm like wait this is a pretty good movie uh this is the same guy though i i was really surprised so that was just fun fact number one for me um then you have nick cage doing his nick cage thing uh and then you have this pretty gorgeously shot movie um but yeah let's so let's get into it. Okay. So you want to start with our with the plot? You want to start with some of the style stuff that's going on here? Uh, are, are
0: we getting into spoilers? Yes. Is that where we're we going Spoilers
1: are allowed. So we okay. can talk about the end. We can talk about, I
0: mean, really anything. Um, um, for me, I yeah. – okay. So when I had watched the movie – I was re- Actually, I was really hoping we would talk about this movie like right after I got done watching it because I was buzzing. I literally – I was numb and I had so many things going through my – that you cannot – it's hard – it's very hard not to talk about the movie, this movie after you watch this movie. At least for me, it was because I had to talk to somebody and you were like, well, we'll do it on Sunday. And I'm like, um, so I ended up having to chat with another one of my Lovecraftian friends about the, about this movie in particular. Um, but I think the thing that stuck out to me most by the time I hit the end of the movie was I was super excited for a return, the return of body horror because you don't really See that in movies anymore, um, in horror or sci fi or anything really. Uh, it was mostly a product of the 80s when it was done well between The Thing or The Fly. And so when they really started to dig out the body horror in this one, especially when they didn't do it digital, but they used practical effects for it, I got excited.
1: It was rough and
0: gross. And
1: of course, it was rough. Uh, to another level for me because, uh, and and it's probably one of the few times in a movie when I, my jaw is dropping. I I don't normally drop my jaw.
0: That's but
1: in the middle of this movie, the kid, (laughs) like (laughs) kids survive the movies, right? Like I'm watching this thinking I'm safe. Nothing's going to happen to the kid who looks like my son. (laughs) I'm okay. Sir,
0: this is not the Goonies. (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) And, I mean, you know, you know, like uh, Alien versus Predator Requiem, like they killed a dog and a kid in the first five minutes to let you know, this isn't like your normal horror movie, you know, like that's just telling you it's up another level, right? you know, so I'm watching and I'm just thinking he's, he's going to be okay. He's the wide eyed wonder, you know, and um, you know, then halfway through the movie, he goes in the barn with his mom. They come out of the barn. No,
0: he he he, go, he goes in there with his older brother. Oh, that's right.
1: And his mom goes to get him out. And and then the light is shining. And his mom holds him to protect him. And Nick Cage comes. And we get a reaction shot. I'm like, wait, what's going on? What, what's happening? And then you see that they have been fused together. And... <laughs> Oh my goodness. Like it was just this moment of, of shock. Like I have not been surprised by a movie in that way before, Uh or not before. I, I should say it's been, it's been a long time. I can't, but I couldn't tell you the last time that I've been sur- surprised by a movie like
0: this. I, to, to be honest, I was a little bit surprised that they went there with it myself because usually a harm to children is a super taboo thing in cinema and it's hard to get, studio permission to do something like that. Um, and even, even in horror, it's very rare that you see you that you see a child, something happen to a child in a movie. And if it does happen, there's a certain debt of justice that has to be paid for it. Like there, like whoever does something bad to a child in a horror film by the end of that horror film, something absolutely horrific has to happen to that, to that perpetrator. The perpetrator here being the color, <laughs> and, right, but anybody who knows anything about h p Lovecraft, it's never a happy ending. I can't think of one h p Lovecraft story i've ever I've ever read where the characters were better off having gone through that journey that he takes them through uh,
1: yeah, and that's definitely the case here <laughs> oh, definitely the case here because. The whole time, then I'm watching. I'm like, okay, so how are they going to get them separated? How are they going to get them separated? And the mom is asking for water. They they don't focus in on the kid that much, and, and I think that that's because they know, you know, <laughs> what they're doing is taboo. Like we can't show this, you know, um, right? But then the creature becomes a uh, a thing of terror you know, this fused mom and son creature becomes a thing that's, that's actually a threat and uh, gets taken out by by Nick Cage with a shotgun. Yeah. And I'm just, again, I'm, this time I'm not shocked because the movie has shocked me. I'm just like, oh my goodness, they went there, you know. But um, right. But when that twist happened in the middle of the movie where this kid who is, entranced by the color you know he's talking to the color and he's mm-hmm. he's entranced by it and i'm just thinking okay he is this some sort of you know poltergeist situation where the color is going to speak through him or you know whatever it's going to be um and instead that you get that fusion and then not only that fusion but um you know mom's hungry you know and, and
0: feed your mother
1: <laughs> and i <laughs> Uh I watched that part twice actually. I loved his line reading on that, but I watched it twice because um I stopped the DVD and and had to get back to the middle of the chapter and and so that's where I is right before that right after that, that I'd stopped it right before that I started up again, but that that line reading where he, feed your mother and it's just like what's <laughs> And then I'm thinking no he's he's he means let mom eat you, you know like he's... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's, a, but they went there again with the, the, the killing of the creature instead of the, the rescue. And yeah, nobody comes out of this movie. Okay.
0: No, even, even the people who, well, even <laughs> few people the, come out the, of the, the movie. characters, <laughs> right? Well, even the characters who survive, they're not in a good place after surviving. I mean, yeah. now
1: it's Ward, who is the our basically our our primary character that we're following, who's going to survive. Apparently, he is meant to be the central character for a trilogy that Stanley wants to
0: make. That, I I have heard that. I have heard that. I. Um, I well, I hope it happens because the next the next movie that's supposed to be in the trilogy is one of my favorite H.P. Lovecraft stories of all of them. That's the because the, uh, the, the next one's supposed to be the Dunwich Horror, yeah, yeah.
1: which I've seen adaptations of that, but I haven't read it. Um, I believe it was in Night Gallery. So the, the Rod Serling TV series from the late 70s. I think they did that. That story. C-
0: couldn't tell yeah. you. I had never watched any of the Night Gallery. I've only seen a few of the Twilight Zone episodes. So Night Gallery was a little bit out of my thing.
1: Yeah. Well, quick rabbit trail. Night Gallery is very 70s. Uh, it's And it's also kind of that uh, uh, gothic horror from the 70s. Uh And, right. and it's actually not – He he hosted it, and I think he wrote one or two episodes, but he wasn't a producer. He wasn't a prime creator behind it but the, they definitely uh, wrote another, his another
0: podcast that i used to listen to they did they did a a whole uh couple episodes on rod serling um they talked a lot about the twilight zone and they went into the night gallery and they're like yeah the first the first few seasons of twilight zones where it's at the last couple when they start when the network really starts to meddle with it it starts going downhill and when they started doing night gallery it just completely fell off uh, I, I actually like night gallery
1: um That was one of Steven Spielberg's first directing jobs.
0: Was was an episode of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, who later went on to be to make uh, uh, amazing stories, which was my equivalent of the Twilight Zone. Yeah,
1: which is on Apple. The new Apple streaming network has. uh, I think they're they're doing five episodes of new Amazing Stories episodes.
0: Didn't they learn from the Twilight Zone reboot? Just leave it alone. I haven't watched them yet. Um, I have a
1: free year of that streaming service. Um, So I was able to watch The Servant. And I don't know if I'm going to get around to watching the the amazing stories. But the trailer had that music. And it didn't quite send chills down my spine. But it definitely hit the, the right chords of nostalgia. It was just, wow, wow, this music. I forgot how much... Uh, how big a part of my, my life that was back in high school. So, yeah. So anyway, that, that was a little, little rabbit trail, but yeah, he wants to do a trilogy based uh, on three HB Lovecraft stories. He won't say what the third one is. I read an interview where he actually said, I don't want to say what the third one would be because since they're in public domain, anyone could come along and make
0: these stories. But, um, well, you know what it has to be if he's, if he's trying to hit the right notes with the Lovecraft fans, yeah, well, uh, I think the, uh, the it call, has to be Call yeah. of Cthulhu. Yeah. I mean, is where it's at. You can't touch Lovecraft without talking about Cthulhu. I mean, Cthulhu's a minor pop a minor pop uh icon at this point in time. There's a uh, quite a fan base of us out there who are super into Cthulhu at the moment, myself included. So Ward would be the, the primary
1: character who would be in all three of these movies. And you know, he survives this one, but not uh unharmed. <laughs> let's let's put it that
0: way. Yeah, that's to put it mildly. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I I actually wasn't sure what I was supposed to think about this guy. You know, in in the book it's it's the or the the story it's that same kind of thing where he's a surveyor you know and he's he's there to do some surveying and um but he ends up being the guy who's who's kind of pulling all these threads together and becomes the only person who really has an idea of what was going on top to bottom like from the family to um was it Tommy Chong is that him? yeah out in the woods that
0: that, i don't i don't understand putting him in there at all but (laughs) well again i once i realized
1: who this director was i'm like i gotta find out more uh that character is actually based on a character that he made a documentary about a a, a, a real guy who actually recorded aliens talking to him from under the floor and and so i it was originally i guess intended to be iggy pop but um they went with
0: I could see that Tommy too. Chong
1: and you know playing the guy who's telling the truth but no one believes him because he's crazy and I I mean there's some really interesting stuff that that guy said one of them was when the cat left and he's like yeah you'll see him again but you won't recognize him yeah and and then that's what happened you know he's in the back of the truck and just part of that cat body horror mutilation but
0: yeah oh and and the llama scene tell me you didn't have flashbacks to the thing when you saw oh, that the, yeah the, al- the, the alpaca. Dogs. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i I saw that, and I'm like, are we back in the kennel and the thing <sighs> I mean that this is literally the dog the dog blob in the thing, with the exception of that they're alpacas instead of dogs, yeah, and I don't know, the, but the uh, only thing they weren't doing is was- that almost is worse, <laughs> I mean it's. Well, I'm not. Af- I'm not afraid of getting bit by an
1: alpaca. Yeah, but uh, I felt bad for them. Is is my thing? Like I actually. Oh, I see. Uh, I was watching. And I was like, oh man, like it's not quite as bad as the the fusion of the the mom and son, but you know, there's seven heads and they're all screaming in in pain. And- I get,
0: I get what you're saying. Now you're you're saying worse on the level of grotesquerie. See, I was yeah. I was thinking more along the lines of horror as far as self-preservation yeah well
1: yeah it's an indirect horror you know because you're you're seeing that you're like okay so that's what it does you know this is this is one of the things that happens is if you get around this thing you become this mass of flesh and it's yeah it's a warning you know to the horror that's to come rather than another horror in and of itself that that could get you and so <laughs> I yeah, but all these elements, I mean, they're all coming together they're they're weird, they're disparate in some ways, you know, you have this beautiful colors, and there's actually some beautiful mutations going on with with like the one bug that comes out of the well, um, but then you have
0: this yeah, grotesque stuff going on, and it, uh now. The color that they use in this movie, uh, magenta, they actually had a reason why they uh, that why they used magenta in this movie. Uh, did you hear about no, that? No,
1: I, I figured part of it was just that's a unusual color and and not a naturally. Uh, occurring color
0: much anyway, but. Well, that that's the exact reason oh, okay. is, is, is that it doesn't actually exist in a in a uh, in a particular wavelength of light um, in the color spectrum of visible light. Um, but it's extrapolated, um, meaning that it's only perceived by a uh, specific interaction of optical rods within our eyes. And it's basically, it's, it's a color that's processed by our brain and not so much by our eyes or receiving a specific wavelength that would be magenta. So it, magenta isn't actually a color in and of itself. It's just, extra, it's just how our brains perceive those particular wavelengths multiple wavelengths at the same time um because it's shades of red and blue at the same time okay
1: yeah because i i actually last month i think read an article about like these these gap colors where our brain makes it up because our eyes aren't actually picking up the color that's coming at us Right. i didn't realize that was the reason i i just figured because you don't see it very often (laughs) and uh,
0: both reasons well you don't see it at all well yeah (laughs)
1: okay fair enough but um but i liked it i i like the way that they used it and you know they have to visualize it that's the thing is and how do you visualize a color that doesn't exist you know and
0: right yeah well and and that's that's the reason why that they haven't been able to do a hp lovecraft movie with any amount of With any amount of uh, success is because a lot of what HP Lovecraft talks about um, is, oh, I can't describe it or (laughs) I won't describe it because the very gazing upon it drove such and such insane um, and stuff like that. So he basically just has these things that are indescribable and how do you put – how do you characterize something that do you How do you make concrete something
1: that – in words, when you say it like that, I can't describe it. Your brain automatically still tries to picture it, uh, but then
0: how do you make that concrete? And and that's also the reason why H.P. Lovecraft works so well is because you know what do humans fear? Well, they they fear the unknown. Well, if you don't know exactly what you're afraid of, then that's what makes the 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 uh, cosmic horror work. Um, which is why I'm a little bit curious as far as seeing what they do with the Dunwich Horror, because the uh, particular creature in that was completely amorphous and undescribable, um, and was mu- was multidimensional, like a, like we exist within a uh, three d a three dimensional uh, space, but the way Lovecraft was describing it in that book it is exceeded. It, it, its form exceeded, uh, the third dimension. So I'm curious to see how they put that down. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I doubt a little bit that they're going to be able to pull it off in such a way that does the story justice in my mind, but I'm hopeful.
1: Yeah. You know, this gives me hope. I mean, the, just the way that this works. Um, there's a, there's a little bit of hope here.
0: And th- this sounds really weird, especially you know, over a Christian podcast. But I was really glad that they didn't pull for a PG-13 rating on this because I don't I don't think that softening the blow on cosmic horror really would do the do the fiction itself justice. Uh, me, I'm more interested in, in doing in servicing the story than trying to. Basically, trying to make make the movie well, then try to appeal to a larger audience. If that makes sense, yeah, it does. It does. It's and
1: in some ways, it's being true to the vision of the, well, in this case, the vision of the director writer, but then also the vision of the original, um, the original piece. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean the the grotesquerie that's going on, the the, the disgustingness of all of this mm-hmm. uh, works toward The themes that it's dealing with too though i mean it's it's pushing these themes and the main theme i mean hp lovecraft his you you say he always goes to a, you know the ending is not going to end well you know your your characters aren't it never ends well for anybody so and at the same there's kind of this hopelessness that's going on in that like that's the the one thing that what I do see in, in him is, is there's this hopelessness in the face of the cosmic greatness, you know, where like the emptiness of space, you know, and, and infinity and, um, you know, the, the unknown and, and the endless, you know, and these things, these are things that my son, my youngest son, you know, he tells me, it just makes my tummy hurt when he tries to think about (laughs) infinity, uh, you know, we homeschool them. our our kids and, and his math lesson was about infinity. And, and as as they were talking about, he just told my wife, it makes my stomach hurt a little bit to think about this. And then I've been on a couple of walks with him lately where we've had some good conversations. And one of the conversations was just about where did God come from, you know? And so when he's, he's trying to think of something that has no beginning. And and again, he said, it kind of makes my tummy hurt, you know? And, and it does, you know, there's an unsettledness that comes out of Really trying to understand the this this thing that you we just can't understand. Our brains are not wired to understand infinity, and and to fully right. grasp how big the universe is, you know. And right. again, in the written word, that works great for for Lovecraft. You know, as he's writing these these tales of hopelessness, because these things are just too big to even fathom. And that's what happens with Ward at the end of this. You know, Ward is someone who he can't help anyone. You know, there is nothing they can do in the face of this, this creature. And, and that's true in both, um, the, the book or the, the, the story and this, this movie, um, that hopelessness is truth though, without God, you know, and, and watching this, this movie, this is, this is one of the, I think the best examples of an anti-lesson you know where the the thing that this movie says is true to an extent uh and it it teaches us about hope by showing us no hope i, I don't know if that makes complete sense that. but um but it also it's not the best way to do things you know i'm i'm not i'm not saying yeah as a christian you really just need to make make creations about how hopeless everything is so you can tell people how hopeful it, it actually is you know um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's. It, but I think that that's one of the, the things. What you're talking about this this R rating, um, I don't think any of this would have come across the way it does if it had been a PG-13.
0: Absolutely not, and I don't, and and I, I hate to say that, you know, it's the it's the grotesquerie that makes this movie good. But in a certain, to a certain extent, it kind of is. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the person who glorifies who, who's out. I don't, I'm as a former gore hound, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I, that's not, I, I kind of, and I, th- I think, uh, you, Steve and, uh, uh, you, Steve and Evan kind of caught a little bit from me, but I kind of went through my own spiritual identity crisis, uh, a couple of years ago. And I had to take a step back and look at my horror consumption. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to be the person who glorifies the whole gore aspect of it. But in the same sense, if the story calls for something to be grotesque, then it needs to be grotesque because if it serves the story and it makes sense, then that's what makes sense for the fiction. But if you're just doing it to do it, then that's where you start to kind of cross that line with me. Um, And in in this, in this instance, everything that happened in this movie, despite how grotesque it may seem, it really was necessary in order to accomplish what they were trying to do, in my opinion.
1: No, I, I agree. Though it, the other thing I, I, guess I kind of appreciate about this movie is that it wasn't done for a thrill. No, um, there's there's not that same thrill that comes from watching other horror movies where you're like, um, you know, the roller coaster effect where you build, 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 and then you fall, and you're you, it's controlled fear. It's controlled danger, I should say. Um, you're mm-hmm. feeling fear, but you're in a safe place. You know, like right. I, you're sitting in your living room uh, feeling the fear that you might feel if you were actually outside, um, you know, being chased by a wild animal or something like that. But so you're safe. You know, that's not the kind of horror that this movie is going
0: for. You know, No. It, there's no th- – I, I wouldn't say that there's any thrills to be had in this movie. Except Nicolas Cage.
1: Well, <laughs> like there is some giddiness watching him chew the scenery.
0: And, and and chew he does. Oh man, does he go for it. <laughs> I also, I, I, I was wondering if you caught this too. I have a fan theory about about this movie that hasn't been said specifically by the director or the writers uh, but um, I almost want to blame the daughter in this movie for what happens in this what happens in this movie okay
1: elaborate a little bit and then I'll give you a little bit of um, director insight because I did read a little bit about what he said about her and her Wiccan ways
0: well here's the thing every time she performs a Wiccan, uh, any kind of Wiccan or witchcraft based ritual in this film, the awfulness of what's happening to them ratchets up. Mm -hmm. And each time she she performs her ritual. She always ends it with saying, take me away from here. And spoilers to anybody out there who doesn't want to hear how the story ends. I'll give you a count to three at the end of the movie at the end of the movie uh when ward's trying to take her out of there she's like no i can't leave we can never leave and then she gets uh, she basically gets absorbed into the light and then the light leaves so literally it's almost like she summoned the light with her initial ritual by her little carving ritual that she does on herself um it ratchets up everything and then it takes her away as she requested. So, so I, you know, you could almost say in fan theory, and I bet you dollars of donuts. If Steve ever saw this movie, he'd probably agree with me that, uh, she probably summoned the light and the light may not have been extraterrestrial, but maybe a, 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 something's almost spiritual. Well, because th- the other thing is that one
1: carving that she put on her forehead is actually a structure in the, alien world like that Mm -hmm. symbol like and and so yeah i I, the thing about the the wiccan stuff that's going on is the director he basically does not think people who are doing wiccan stuff are doing it right these days and that um i I, he's very disillusioned by the whole wiccan movement and 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 so he's got this girl who it's all ineffective like it's it's intentionally ineffective like she is doing these prayers and doing these these rituals and and it doesn't work it doesn't do anything for her i actually like you're reading better than what he was saying um that it actually did you know cause some some Because the
0: stuff just gets worse and worse and worse, no matter what she does. Right. Uh, But it it, it always seems to to hinge on those rituals because the light doesn't come. I mean, the light comes after she performs her uh, ritual at the beginning of the movie, and it doesn't really get aggressive with them until she performs that carving ritual because the fusion doesn't happen until she starts to carve on mm. herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. What I thought about with with these family is is that everything that they've done and are doing to protect themselves is just nothing you know they they just can't mm-hmm. you know so like they they move to this place uh you know to get away from it all you know and and they're gonna raise alpacas, which you know everyone just knows is is it's goofy, you know it's silly uh and it's not right. effective, you know but so they're doing all these things to try and just protect themselves and take care of themselves and so you've got her doing her rituals which are all about her you know Mm -hmm. and so the thing i picked up on was not what you said where she ends everything with uh get me out of here or whatever it is um but it still goes along with what i'm saying that i did notice which is everything that she's doing is about her she's asking yeah to heal heal her mom or whatever but at the same time it's about her you know it's a it's about me and and then you have, you know, the dad, you know, who's he's just descending into alcoholism and descending into um, madness. Madness, yeah. Uh, you have the mom who is descending into uh, depression and disengaging from the world around her, and all these things that are getting amplified and elevated as the story progresses. But they, they, it's, it's as I've said before, the Dave Slater principle. Dave Slater being a friend of mine who passed away uh, about 18 19 years ago now um, but he'd come out of movies every once in a while and just be like they just need Jesus you know and um, <laughs> the, that movie wouldn't have happened if they just had Jesus you know and and that's the case here where they're just trying to do everything on their own and doing everything they can to protect themselves and you know to to make things right um, you know the the mom is descending into her work too she's disengaging from her family. By descending into her work, which she's doing remotely, by by Zoom meetings and right. you know, FaceTime, which today alone, not including this podcast that we're doing right now, I had three FaceTime meetings because you know we're not we're, we're doing the social distancing thing, which I just found that interesting mm-hmm. the the timing on that. But
0: well, the other part of that too, if you want, if you really want to dig into that end of it, if you think about it. If they would have listened to the scientists and if they would have self quarantined and stay in their house.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Nothing would have happened to them. Yep.
1: Yep. Just saying. Yeah. Or if they listened to the crazy guy out in the woods. Um, well, well
0: yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make that part of my lesson. Gotcha, bench gotcha. All right. <laughs> do, do not listen to stoner hobos <laughs> in the woods. That, that, that's going to lead to heartache and disillusionment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I mean, it, it all is—it's it's that Dave Slater principle, and it just watching Nick Cage
0: descend into madness, though, is is something to behold. And I'm not—I'm not entirely certain that guy is not already insane. He's like—he's <laughs> like our generation's uh, Gary Busey. I don't know, man. I because everything I hear about him,
1: now granted, I haven't heard a lot, but is that like these takes that he's doing on the, the character or whatever, he asks the director if, if it's okay for him to do that. You know, like he's, he's, he's got his vision for how the character is, is should be portrayed, you know, but he's, he's also turning to the director to say, Hey, uh, what's your vision? You know, and-
0: did you get, okay. I have to ask the question. Did you catch, um, the whole multiple personalities vibe from him yes. throughout the movie? That? Like every time, every time he would get mad, And blow up at somebody his uh the way he would talk would change he'd actually develop an accent
1: uh yeah yeah. and at first i didn't realize what was going on and i was just like but he is all over the place and then you realize no this is intentional like it's supposed to be all over the place but there is actually a rhyme to the madness you know like it's not just that he's you know just going full in the, the cage or whatever um it's it's intentional and he he blows up he has the anger uh he comes back down and and apologizes you know and um tries to be a good father and then he goes to feed his wife with his daughter you know <laughs> and, but then he comes in clear-headed with a shotgun to destroy the monster that's going to eat his daughter and it that's not my family yeah yeah so as as you're going along at first I was just like man this is at first I thought we were just watching low budget movie where Nick Cage can just do whatever he wants and then you realize no he's actually there's intention behind how he's doing this and 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 it, it goes in cycles and it's that abusive father you know like he's in fact at one point I think he even says I'm not that guy I'm not my father yeah yeah And you just – you see in each one of them, like I said, the elevation to insane proportions, especially for Nick Cage.
0: Right. Well, and then another thing that if you, when you really start paying attention to this movie, there's, there are actually multiple stories that are being told through subtext in this Mm -hmm. movie. I mean, you got, you have the, you have the, you have the core narrative that you're following that has to do with the color out of space, but then you're picking up everybody's backstory that they're bringing to it with certain bits of conversation that you're picking up on, uh, that Nick Cage did come from an abuse, had an abusive father who didn't think much of him. Um, and, uh, you know, the mom had breast cancer and she had adult, she had uh, pro, what, it, what I would assume was a, some form of a mastectomy before the yeah. mo- be, movie begins. Yep. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of subtext that's going on in this movie and they they're on hard times. And he didn't really want to move out to the farm that they're at. But there they were anyway. And so. A lot, a lot of interesting things in storytelling that you don't see in modern movie making anymore because a lot of modern script writing feels the need to kind of spoon feed you the – all the narratives they want you to understand throughout the movies. And a lot of the stuff that they explain in the subtext in this you would have seen in flashbacks had it been a, lar- a large budget production, I think. Yeah, or or it just would have been said out loud.
1: You know, like, right. like the daughter would have explained it to, to Ward, you know, like. Right, But yeah, or in a modern movie, they just would have skipped it altogether and and not bothered with it and just been. There's that know, too. Um, no, that's, this is the thing that surprised me. This is a, for as broad as this movie goes, it's subtle and nuanced and, you know, for as, as bright and as, as um, beautiful as it is, you know, it, it doesn't explain everything. And mm-hmm. it, it honestly, the movie is, intends to leave you asking questions and, and wondering what exactly was going on. You know, like why did the color leave? Um, You know, you get the impression from the the short story that they wounded the the color and it's, it's running away. It's leaving to go back to space except for mm-hmm. the one bit that can't, you know? And, and with this, I, you don't get, there isn't that explanation, but I like yours, you know, like she's,
0: uh, she summoned, she something summoned it and, it and it took her away, She told it to take yeah. her away, I, man. I, I mean, the more you think about it, the more it really starts to make sense. It, it really does. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, anything else to, that you want to touch on
0: before we, we close this down? Um, I would say you know a couple things i we can i i, I i've been kind of holding in the back of my head trying to think of how to bring it into the conversation um i would say that uh if there are people out there who are interested in <clears throat> lovecraftian cinema but don't necessarily want to dive into the lovecraft the the one the movies that are specifically based off of H.P. Lovecraft stories because of the whole trying to describe the undescribable bit. Uh, a movie that I would recommend highly it would be a uh, John Carpenter uh, film called *In the Mouth of Madness* mm-hmm. with Sam Neill. Which yeah. oh yeah, did you know Sam Neill was originally uh, was uh, was uh, slated to be James Bond before uh, Pierce Brosnan took the role? No, true story. Oh. No. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Okay. I I can't see it. It's just anytime someone I could see he, he has a little bit of a Roger Moore look to him.
0: Okay. Anytime someone talks about Sam Neill, that factoid just pops up in my head and I'm like, Oh, by the way, did you know um, that the guy who played the Antichrist in the third Omen movie was supposed to be James Bond? (laughs) Um, But yeah, in the mouth of madness, check that out. If you're interested in Lovecraftian uh, style cinema, And if you want, if you like the, if you like the character of Cthulhu or that type of Lovecraft story, but you don't want to deal with the verbose-ness of uh, Lovecraft's fiction, there was a uh, author that recently did a series of books and I'm trying to pull it up right now on my computer while I'm talking and I'm hoping I don't hang up on you on Skype. Because I want to give you the author's name, but um, the name of a—it's a, a three-book series called *The Cthulhu Chronicles*, and uh, it's a, it's a Sherlock Holmes book series. Oh, okay. Um, and there we go. Uh, James Lovegrove is the author, and it's three books that deal with Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson. And uh, they deal with Lovecraftian, uh, Lovecraftian horrors. And uh, the books were supposedly written by John Watson um, as, a, as some sort of a memoir. And he basically declares all his stories were fraudulent. And these are the real facts that were happening behind the scenes. And the original fictions were uh, just there to – provide money for them while they were a part of the society that were keeping the, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the name, the name that they gave the creatures, but keeping them at bay, the old ones at bay from invading our realm and enslaving humanity. I highly recommend it. I, I, I would listen to them over the course of my work and I would consume the entire book in a hmm. day easily. Very good. So um, if you like the idea of Lovecraft fiction but don't want to deal with the words, I would say go that direction.
1: Well, and one more thing to add to that would be Annihilation, both the
0: movie and the book. Um, um, I, tried, I tried to watch that. I I. I don't know. I got – I didn't get to the part where they actually made it into the well, – this. this
1: movie feels like the prequel to
0: that movie. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, even with the color palette, palette a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, I do know that is currently free on prime. I might have to go back and try to uh, try to watch that again. Uh, And and the
1: book itself is also, it's different.
0: It it actually is very different.
1: The, the people who made the movie, uh, the screenwriter said, I read the book and then I wrote the movie based on my memories of the book. And I wanted to go ahead and just kind of do whatever movie came out of that. You know, (laughs) so there's,
0: that's not a terrible, there's
1: similarities. Definitely but it's not a direct adaptation. Um, but the movie feels like it could be a sequel. Annihilation feels like it could be a sequel to this. Like this is the, where the thing started that becomes the region that's in Annihilation. Um, the, the book itself uh, I think is even a little bit more, I don't know if scary is quite the right word because I, I don't get scared when I read a book. Um mm-hmm but it's unsettling. There's definitely some unsettling moments and, and you have this underlying mystery and a lot of things where it's just no answers. No answers can be given because, and I guess it's a trilogy. I haven't read the the two that follow that first book. Um, And so Mm -hmm. there might be answers in the later books, but uh, it's, it's, it's the, as the mystery unravels, I'm just like, what's going on? And then you get to the end you're. I don't know still what's going on, and it's not because I didn't understand the book. It's because it, it's not there to provide the answers to everything, and that's actually one of the points of the book.
0: I, I kind of prefer that that style of ending anyway because, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to make something feel a little bit more true to life, you don't always find out the answers to everything. Sometimes things just happen and – Well, then you need to watch the movie because the, <laughs> the ending of that movie, you're just like, what? I guess it
1: makes some sense. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, definitely watch the end of the movie. <laughs> so,
0: well, there, there you go. Gentle listener. You've gotten recommendations from both of us on this. Yeah. Well, thanks for
1: watching this movie with me. And,
0: um, oh, absolutely. I'd watch it again. And I probably will uh, watch it again. I own it it'll probably be my pick for halloween this year when we watch movies with my in-laws.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure about how how it is how to how to get it on streaming, but um but it was definitely at at Walmart, you know, like it's yeah. one of those straight straight uh, to DVD I,
0: or Blu-ray or whatever. I believe that it is available to rent or buy digitally, but uh I don't I know for a fact it's not for free at the yeah. moment, for sure. Yep. And I know it's at Redbox, so if you guys want to break quarantine and go out and touch a screen that everybody else has touched, then you can definitely go and rent it at Redbox. Yeah,
1: I'm I'll be renting on Amazon Prime I before I use Redbox ever <laughs> again, I feel like. I just just, just bring some alcohol wipes yeah, with
0: you. That's all that's all that comes down I to. I can't
1: remember what the movie was, but I rented a movie from Redbox a little bit before things started happening and had to return it after like some of the social distancing things were, were starting, and I was just like, "I'm just putting this in here. It's going into this machine, it's just getting set in there, and then if I rent another movie, it's just going to come out." Like they're not cleaning these things. They're, you know, <laughs> like everywhere else, you know, they're 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 wiping down all the carts. You know, like I went and got groceries today at Walmart, and they. Every cart was pulled apart from the other ones, and and they were spraying them and 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 cleaning them. There was two people. That was just their their one job, for you know I don't know if it's all day, but for that part of their day is is just to clean every cart before someone takes it again, and but not Redbox. <laughs> it's,
0: yeah, it's it's like renting a movie from a petri dish. You don't know what you're going to get yeah, with yeah. it. Kind of, it's the it's the free prize inside the cereal box.
1: Well, and it never wasn't that. You know, like if you think about it, we're being super careful because of this current situation, but it was always a Petri dish.
0: You no, know, this is true. And I, I'm almost afraid that our current situation might create a generation of Howie Mandels, but. There's worse things in the world to be. I, I suppose. You no, know, the- but if, if we're constantly afraid of what might happen to us, it keeps us, uh, it keeps us from focusing on what we currently have. And that's kind of my philosophy on it. I'm, I'm refusing to be afraid of it at this point. Oh, I'm, I'm washing my hands a lot. <laughs> no, I'm not saying go around and lick the That's just off. it. I like mean, you have to find that. F- use, use common yeah. sense. But I mean, in the same sense, I, I, you know, and when, when we get the all clear, I'm first thing I'm doing is I'm going out and hugging people. So <laughs>
1: Uh, I'll let you do that. But fortunately, we're in different time zones, so I don't have to worry about it myself.
0: Also, keep in mind, I'm here in one of the epicenters. I'm in Washington State. So I got that going for me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but
1: this this whole situation causes me to think about, you know, what we were talking about with uh, the family. You know, like they're doing all these things to protect themselves from this thing that's just so much bigger than them. You know, and, and I just look at what we're what we're going through right now and I'm just like, well, this is bigger than me. Like there's not much I can actually do other than just continue taking care of my family and continue trusting God that I'm uh, doing what I need to do to, to follow him. You know, and it just, you know, you, you can't stop things. Some things like you said just happen. You know, and mm-hmm. uh other things I think anything that even stuff that just happens, we can learn from and grow from uh, but i th- I hope that the growth that we get out of this is is just you know there are things that are out of our hands, and we need to let them be out of our hands and and trust in uh, you know trust God, you know trust him he's he's got us, and um cause I see a lot of people who are just totally just doing they're they're taking it into their own hands and they're saying, I'm going to do everything I can uh, to ridiculous ends. And yeah, I'm not saying be a snake handler by any means, but (laughs) that's not what I'm saying. But uh, you know, God's got us. He loves us and
0: he's got us. So yeah, that's, that's kept me sane more than once is if, God weren't in the driver's seat, I would have given up a long time ago.
1: Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Well, that's our episode. Thank you for joining me. Um, I don't. Do you have anything to promote right now?
0: Oh, um, maybe when my editor gets done with the next episode of the Randoms, I can promote episode three of <laughs> okay. the Randoms coming up. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Getting the point. <laughs> so.
0: And, uh, also coming soon to, uh, supersonic pod comics is, uh, the here to yet untitled supersonic pod comics, the role-playing game live. So play. keep your eyes yeah. open for that. Yeah. Uh, featuring me as the GM and Mr. Ben, Ben Avery will be in there as yeah. well. So good times to be had by everybody on that. That's definitely the hope because it'd be kind of a waste
1: of time if it wasn't good. <laughs> so, well, you know, <laughs> but yeah,
0: I, 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 I would be, I would be, a, I'd be a little bit upset about that too. Cause I've, I've invested a bit of money yeah. into that project. So, um,
1: but uh, yeah, by the same token, you know, it's, it's experimental. And so there's some fun just to come out of that too. just,
0: yeah, no, it, it'll be a good time. I've I've got, a have got, I've got a, I've got, I've got a uh, fun little narrative for you guys to run through. So, Cool, cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. And
1: all that said, I want to thank you for listening. And we'll, uh, you know, we're we're going to go through this quarantine time together and put out more episodes of of the podcast. I I'm not going to predict what's happening next because I can't remember what's on our slate to go out before this one and after this one. But yeah. So thanks again for joining me, John. Appreciate it. No problem. And everyone else, thank you for listening and Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast hosted by Ben Avery, Evan David,
0: Steve McDonald and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was
1: composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter where we are at alien, or
0: liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens.
1: Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1- Eight oh four three seven eight one. And once again, thanks for listening.
0: Do, do not listen to stoner hobos in the woods. That that that's going to lead to heartache and disillusionment.